So he do, he we do have a little bit more affirmation on that. And the idea would be that it would be the mo the the bed of chaos was supposed to be very mobile, and the the boss is actually called in the files King Isleth in yep. um the idea and. As Miyazaki elaborates, the idea would have been that you would have had the bed of chaos boss in the marina sort of fighting you, and then you'd have the the king of Isleth um, sitting on his throne in the background for that, and that ended up being changed to the the dreaded boss that yeah, we now they have. Yeah, apologized the of, for. Yeah, they've 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 never lived down. <laughs> <laughs> so. Um, so the interesting, well, one of the things that is most interesting about that is that one, we know that there was a king of Isleth. Two, th- they we know that that means that they were at least had ideas for what the king would look like, what it would be, what his lore would be, and things like that. And we know one other thing that Miyazaki talks about in the Design Works interview, and that's that the painted world was kind of Miyazaki cheating. He wanted to. Um, there were a lot of things that Miyazaki couldn't get into the game proper. Um, either ideas or lore bits or maybe both that just weren't going to be able to fit. So he cheated and he created, and this is sort of where the painted world gets meta. He created a place to belong for things that didn't have a place to belong. Yeah. (laughs) And that ended up being its in universe lore as it progressed into dark souls three too. So it was sort of this, um, the painted world is very, it's basically Miyazaki being very meta with his work. And, uh, the idea would be then, okay, if you ha- there was a king of Isleth, he was cut. Um, we know Jeremiah is a pyromancer who is a king, and he uses chaos pyromancies, which originate from Isleth, so it goes to, to, to say that they probably, when they cut the, the king, um, the king, they would end up putting him in the painted world where they, they put a bunch of their cut stuff that didn't have a mm. place to be in the game otherwise. So that's the thing. What reinforces this is that the way that the original Bed of Chaos boss fight would have gone was identical to a previous boss fight in Demon Souls, um, which was with a similar character in yellow cloth um, known as the old monk boss, I believe he's called. Yes. Um, and the boss was a similar idea where you'd have this character garbed in yellow who would sit back in a throne, and then the actual boss you would fight would be in the arena, actually the one you would fight. And the the idea was that the cloth would be wrap around that person's... I think yeah. the idea was it was Invasion Covenant. They would wrap around the person's head, and it would take this sort of mushroom shape, and that's a reference to how yeah. the set works in Dark Souls 3. Yeah, what, what happened is you can no longer do this because the Demon Souls servers are down. But yeah. what would happen is if you put your summon sign down in Latria, you would sometimes, this is a really neat mechanic, they never did this again, you would get summoned by the boss to fight another player instead of another player summoning you. So you would have your summon sign down in Latria, and it would say you're being summoned, and then you'd think, oh, good. And then you would see this cutscene of your character rising up through the floor of the boss room, and then the boss would, the, the, um, the, yellow garb of the boss would fly around your head and suddenly you were the boss and you had to mm-hmm. fight another player yeah and they tried to recreate that idea with dark souls 3's Phil, uh, church of philianor yeah, yeah yeah it's similar to that yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so yeah so there's 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 t- so we see that there's tons of, of a lot the evidence seems to be pretty strong the idea that i that jeremiah is um King Isleth. Um yeah. and obviously we know in his lore from his descriptions that he is an exile. Um 
So, and I, 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 again, I apologize to both you and, and Sin. I don't know if Sin sent you it, Richard, but I sent the full Eisleth yeah, analysis for you guys. Okay, so I sent the full thing for yeah. the, you guys to read it. I don't know if Sin did or anything, but um, just, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Unlike Richie, Sin has a life, okay? I had to go to my parents today. I had to help them out with something. I'm not blaming you. I'm just... I had to take naps and eat snacks, okay? Yeah, that's true. Do we want to talk about like um just just as like a tangent again as well as there being king king Isolith, there is references to a prince prince of Isolith. Yes, there's also a prince Isolith the- and that was I know I know where that is that one I know, Richie. It's the it's the thing on the wall. The parasite thing on the wall is called Prince Isolith internally. Yes, and people have people have like compared it to Jeremiah and said like it sort of matches the shape of his head. Yes, the head is definitely a yeah. match as far as if you look at it from that angle yeah. when you like line them up. It's also worth noting in concept art that Jeremiah not only his head but also his body had weird spike things growing out of his shoulders and things yeah, like so that. Yeah, so he's he's mutating into something. Yeah. So the yeah. idea what so the the idea would be that that Jeremiah may have undergone demonhood and one of the ideas put forth is maybe something like maybe the the the, the pyromancers in the painting world are trying to imitate or trying to recreate what's going on with Jeremiah with what they have in in the painting and obviously that isn't working out quite the same way for them. Um Yeah. Yeah. Uh but um and that's actually part of my current work I'm doing on for the project with the painted world. But um, for in, in terms of focusing on Jeremiah and Isleth, it, there's a lot of interesting implications about Jeremiah... Um um, Jeremiah's lore in the existing game. Considering what, if if we if we if we if we've now established that he's the king of Isleth, and there's there's a lot to work off from there because it's like okay, well then, well if he's the king of Isleth, still then okay, what got him exiled and what what why is he why is he now here? Why wasn't isn't he like with home with the rest of his family? Um, and, and I, I this is where I want to talk about going into sort of the general Isleth lore because this is. This is where it's very it's very important to understand the context of of what was of what was going on, um, because a lot of the the standard uh, the the common and I've talked to Richard about this too I think and I think I've talked about sin with it too is that the common uh, the common conception of what went on with Isaac was there was uh there was a there was the flame it was it was going out and then. Um, I, and then the witch was like, oh god, we're, we're losing the first flame, let me make a new one out of, with my lord's soul, and then that backfired, we got chaos, there were demons, and Gwyn was like, shit, now there's this terrible demon calamity, we put it down, and then, um, that, that's sort of supposed to be the lore, and, and my answer to that is that that's, that's a gross oversim, that's not, it's not only incorrect in, in almost entirely as a, as a as a sort of take on on what went down um it, it misses a lot of the it ignores a lot of the existing evidence there um one of the biggest problems that i find with say one of the just in terms of uh, similar to how when we talked about last time about when we f- take the logical conclude when we take that logic to its conclusion sort of say like what we did with the bonfires and well why aren't they death traps if all of us just respawn there at the ho- and we talked about that um the same pol- holds true with the war. If these are supposed to be mindless monsters that um, suddenly sprung forth and were wreaking havoc, and they had to do so, one, why didn't Gwyn? Why hasn't Gwyn outright exterminated them? And two, why have they, for the most part, on- until recently, stayed in Isleth completely unbothered? Um, that's that's a huge question that I don't often see answered. And then 
when we when we when we decide we're not going to get into those semantics and just talk about the 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 evidence and the lore and it's holistically and I again I've talked about this in my Reddit post and I and I've sh- shared some of you guys some of the pa- papers you see that there's a real there's a real complexity to Isleth culture and Dark Souls three builds upon this and talking about well what's the remnants of that culture now well most of it's been lost but. Demons weren't just like what we see in Islith aren't isn't this one's grand civilization that then demons came forth and brought it to ruin. It was itself a demon civilization. It was part of a human demon god, I guess, mixed um culture that all existed there. And it was all revolved around chaos. Um and it it wasn't the ruins are the result of the war with Gwyn and everything and it's the destruction that happened afterward it has nothing to do with the fame fading or um any of that um and that that's where Jeremiah Jeremiah was part of that culture with Isleth at that point so when you talk about that being expanded on in Dark Souls three you mean basically that's why there are black knights running around demon ruins. What I'm what I mean is that that's why there are demon statues in the demon yeah. ruins already. That is why the demons have shown to have their own ability to think and be able to create kingships and things like that to govern themselves and try to rebuild their s- civilization. That is why they are. That is why Quailana is able to go and be with them and the fair lady to the very end after she's become a demon it's all there and it's why much of the lore references this as well and we can go into that into some detail so what it's important to understand is is who is who was the witch of Isleth as a character like who was she and the best Velka. Vel- <laughs> it's they're all Vel- <laughs> I- well, that's we're gonna it for just. We're done. So I'm glad I'm here. Thanks, Richard. You summarize it perfectly. <laughs> uh, but I, the Isleth as a character is that she isn't characterized by desperation. She's characterized by ambition, and this is referenced twice as the idea of when she's creating, when she ends up creating chaos. Is she was an ambitious woman, and where does this come as a root? And it's that there's this line in the opening of Dark Souls One that talks about how. The they, of course, the lords and and everyone and in more broadly speaking, life, um, were attracted to the first flame to fire in general. When they found when they discovered fire, there was something that was captivating about it, and it it sort of grabbed them, and that's what drew them to that. It and as a result, they found the Lord Souls. That is what the that was cut out from the English version. Um, it's important because it gets brought up, especially with pyromancy, several times later in the game, and it becomes a huge issue because characters like Laurentius end up having their dialogue completely butchered, so you can't really even follow when he strings sentences back to back. It's like, what the hell is he talking about? Um, and it's, it, it, I, I find it a little obnoxious, but um, what we have to understand with Isleth as a character... And I, and I call her Isleth because in Quailana's dialogue, the Japanese dialogue, she calls her Isleth. It's just, she's not the witch of Isleth, she's just her mother Isleth. Right. Um, in the same way that Gwendolyn's older sister is Guinevere. Like, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's no name. And again, that's an uh, aspect. So I, I'm going to refer to her as Isleth from now on as the character. And what the witch wanted was to understand she was had this she, even more so than the other lords who were captivated by fire she had a very special fascination with it and it seems the underlying 
I think a driving force of this ended up being was that we have the Lord's souls, and let's call her soul the life soul. Like, if, if Gwyn had the light soul, if Nito had the death soul, if the pygmy had the dark soul, then let's say that Isleth had the life soul. Like, that's sort yeah. of the affinity that Lord's soul had and what it yeah. governed, so to speak. And then, when she got it, she had this drive to try to understand life. It's at the core of understanding fire, because fire was the great creator of life. It, it is a great creator in general. And it is in that study that led her to become a witch, a sorceress. Um, and she, you know, we have to also think about is that this is a woman who... Her children, she had become witches who studied under her like her and become sort of her, her lab apprentice or assistants in her own research. And we see even in the opening, before the Dragon War, she's already researching with the Lord Soul um, in order as part of some studies. And we see them in this circle. And then the interesting fact is there's two witches on either side of her with staves, the Islist catalysts. Um, and well, I bring this up because in the boss fight, we see the same setup where there is Islith, the bed of chaos, and then we have the two staves, the uh, two sisters, um, the two, or her daughters in this case, in terms of her relationship, but the, these two sisters of, um, and daughters of the witch were next to her with the staves, and this is part of the transformation. Now, in the Japanese, uh, in the English dialogue for Quelana, this horrible mistranslation occurred, where, I, I, what was the line? It was something to the effect of, um, my mother and sisters, um, like, she talks about how they lost control of the, of the flame of chaos, and my mother and sisters became deformed creatures. And many have connected that, oh, okay, so when you look at um, the Fair Lady and Quelag, oh, okay, so she's referring to that, and Chaos turned them all into these terrible monstrosities and all that. And it's like, no, 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 that's completely incorrect. That's not at all what happened. Quelag and the Fair Lady's transformation was further down the road. It had nothing to do with when they lost control. One, there's the logical aspect, which is like, why were they so perfectly transformed, just their lower halves? Um, but or why wasn't it, say, the front or the side or more sort of uneven? And that goes into the idea of the ring if they were with their mother during the ritual that it happened. And the reason I bring that up is because Quelana in the Japanese dialogue just says it was this grotesque seedbed of life. And, and that's what bed of chaos is. It's seed it's a bed seed of bed. chaos. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's again, something that, like, was conf- like w- w- bed of what? Why is it a bed? The answer yeah, is, the it's idea a is it's a seed bed. bed. Yeah. Yes. And this is really important because the idea was what Quaylon... Because first off, here's another... Oh, I-, I could go on for this forever. Here's another important detail to know. First off, people have often talked about the daughter of chaos you meet outside the bed of chaos and say, oh, that's the eldest daughter because the fire whip references and seems to imply she's the eldest daughter. But no, she's actually not. She might be among the eldest daughters. That seems very likely. But she's not the eldest daughter. Quelana is, in fact. Quelana actually, in her Japanese dialogue, very clearly talks about her sisters collectively, all of them, as her younger sisters. She's the eldest. And the fire whip, the chaos fire whip, doesn't say... This spell is owned by the eldest of the daughters. It says um, uh, the fire whips are owned by the eldest of the daughters. It's not specific to that spell. Um, 
and obviously Quailana herself uses the fire whip, uh, the the standard version of the um ver, um in for her own repertoire. So Quailana is in fact the oldest, and the one we meet, which in a guide in the Japanese guide is referenced as Gurana, and I I I local I translate that as Guelana because they seem to add an e to all their Kura Gu becomes Quailag, um right. Kurana becomes Quailana. So I was like, okay, so we're gonna call her Guelana, um. The only real difference besides the G is that her she doesn't have the same um, emphasis on the end of her name like Quelana has. So I just roll it all together as Guelana, um, right. or Guelana, I guess would be the way considering how they say Quelana. But so that's a thing to talk about. So what Quelana is saying as the eldest daughter of all of them, she had she had this sort this innate this impl- puts her with a certain responsibility for her younger siblings and her family and everything as you as often is the case with the eldest but for Quailana, she says that okay my mother and sisters so it requires at least two of her sisters to be plural have become this seed this grotesque seedbed of life well that's clearly true cuz we see that the two sisters with the staves that would stand beside their mother when they were in a circle in the ritual as seen before even the dragon wars when they were experimenting with the lord soul w- did in fact transform and become part of the seedbed along with the witch so it's very clear that that's who she's talking about and that's all she needs to talk about. And she's not saying, "Oh, all my sisters became transformed." She knows she's like, "Okay, two of those sisters one, that's plural, that's technically true." That's exactly what she says. So people so there's a misconstrues there cuz she cuz the localization said deformed creatures, which is so broad that you don't realize that you're talking about the the bed of chaos. And I don't know why they even went with plural there for that. Um and then uh, th- there becomes another issue with saying that the the transformation occurred when the chaos first lost control. Because first off, if they were there in the ritual during that time, and then, pfft, okay, so two of the sisters next to the witch became the seedbed. That makes sense. Okay, so let's say that the sisters next to them were the Quailana and the uh, Quailag and the Fair Lady. Okay, then why, again, why was it only their side was transformed? Why was it perfectly their lower half? Or why wasn't, say, their front, if they were, say, across from their mother when the explosion happened? And why is it Quailana and Quailag were still safe? Because the answer is, is that Quailana and the Quailag are not demons by accident. And that's another mistake that was done, was Quailag was said was transformed, which completely takes any possible chance of there being a willful action yeah. on her part, versus saying who, tr- instead of saying Quailag, the daughter of chaos who transformed into a demon, for instance, which is much more yeah. ambiguous. And that's how I would have, uh, that's how I would have translated it, because that's how it should have been done. Because you're take, they're ta- the way that it was done was taking too much of, of the, the, the potential that, that that like the idea was that oh it had to have been something an outside force must have done it to her but no the answer is that Quailag and Quay and, and the fair lady trans didn't become part of the seedbed like two of their sisters and their mother and they're not the first demons like um the fire sages and um ceaseless so they're later in the generational path of becoming demons. So this was an instant, and it was not something that was completely out of their will necessarily. So they, there was very likely that they had chosen, decided on that. And we have to also keep in mind that Quelag and the Fair Lady, in their lore, are both completely happy, comfortable, and comfortable with being demons. Again, this isn't like they're this tragic, terrible, oh, woe is them, they've become these terrible monsters. No, no, they're, they're perfectly content and they're working to actively expand their demon empire. Um, and it's a, sorry if I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Yeah. Well, just yeah. like something that you notice about Quailak 
that is not really like in the text or anything is that like Quellag and the spider are separate entities. Like when yes, you they're... fight them, like, yeah, she's basically just like riding the spider, but she's also inside it. It's part of her. It's like a, pa- yeah. and that's the thing about demonhood is that there's this, 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 this key essence of parasitism to, yeah, exactly, the, yeah, to the, to the, and we see this all throughout Islet. There's this insect theme going along with the wildlife and things, obviously because it's deep underground and things, but also with the parasites. You see that with Solaire and the chaos um, parasite that that takes him, the sunbug, I think it's called, and then. um then there's also examples, of course, we see the centipede demon, which from the ring, which was imbued with the chaos power, when left to its own devices, became. So, wh- wh- the question, okay, so the idea is, if the witch was already experimenting with her lord soul, even before the dragon war, which we see we got Nito, we got Gwyn preparing with his knights, then you got Isleth just experimenting, why the hell would it take them untold time until the very end of the Age of Fire, when the fire's dying, it's like, oh, well, I gotta desperately create a first flame now, oh, I suddenly succeeded, oh, I lost control of it, oh, fuck. Everything's destroyed. We're demons. It doesn't make much sense. And it makes yeah. even less sense because the demons are completely intelligent life forms. And we know this because I've pointed this out in a previous podcast. The Capra demon is the mob boss of the zone. He's taking it over in a completely nor like for 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 being a, a mob boss, he's done it completely rationally. He's got these dogs that he's trained in their serving work, these stray dogs that are working as his like little guard dogs that are sniffing out people for them, and they're kind of annoying to good deal with. And then you've got the thieves, which are also annoying to deal with, um, mm-hmm. that are also serving him. They're, at, they're all his servants, and they're all acting on his behalf in the area. So again, these demons have the capability of, 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 of communicating, and Dark Souls 3 reinforces this even further, of course, with the whole hierarchy. The government they try to recreate after Dark Souls One topples their old regime over. So there's a hu- there's a society there's a culture and society there, and I go deeper into the paper about sort of the architecture and things. But to to keep it simple, the the what we see the city that we see both the the main the core of of Isleth, which is like this temple palace kind of like Angor Wat that um. Uh, uh, the bed of chaos is sort of enshrined in. Um, and again, she, when we enter the boss room, the bed of chaos is sitting in the throne. Um, uh, and and then it gets on the floor after we enter. And then the the city outside of it is, of course, outside the dome. So another thing that I've pointed out is that well, there's this huge logical problem when we're talking about okay, so this great cal- we we can all accept there's this great calamity that caused great destruction when Isleth lost control of the flame. That and uh, Dark Souls three reinforces that that there was yeah. this great destruction in the original city of Isleth, which was apparently named after the witch of though the actual witch who was named Isleth, and that's probably why the witch of Isleth moniker came into being. Because once you have a city named after you, it gets confusing. It's like okay, like wait, so are you talking about the city or you know its leader? It's like yeah. okay, we'll call her the witch. And then obviously after she becomes bed of chaos, less and less people know her by her name, except of course her family, like Quelana. Um so that's an interesting little detail that comes up. But then, um, in terms of the dome, it's like, okay, you've got this dome here that's covering the entire of Isleth, and this is a fire which is so hot it melts rock and turns it into lava on impact. And yet you're trying to tell me this great destruction that we can see on the walls that are still leaking lava from the initial damage it's caused, that that this dome somehow didn't 
like get affected or blocked or any of that up until when that destruction happened it doesn't make much sense the architecture and the way that the bed of like obviously even the bed of chaos boss herself the parasite is behind the walls of the chaos so it's like the witch like transformed inside a wall when she was experimenting in the middle no no all of this architecture was built afterwards after the initial destruction of whatever original settlement existed Islith faced great calamity but it didn't destroy it it completely created a rebirth and a renaissance within its civilization so so the entire civilization was rebuilt from the ground up around demonhood and we see this in the walls this image of a blossom that the humans are all dancing under uh, under and we see the blossom used as a symbol throughout dark souls 1 and it's later used in other in in dark souls 3 too is the idea is that there's the idea of a blossoming flower representing fire um it's used in an orlando architecture it's used in ula seal and we see this repeatedly the idea that the the the, the flower that represents fire but in this case it's not the first flame that the humans were worshiping it's chaos that they're worshiping and one of the the, the reasons that this happened was because Isolith, after losing control of the flame and it transformed her and her and her two daughters and it caused this crazy destruction um she got control of it back and miyazaki references this in the design works interview he talks about how ceaseless was born while the flame was still not stable implying that it was eventually stabilized um so the idea so again it's it, this isn't just spitting in the wind it's actually talked about it and referenced quite a bit and and we, again in in context of jeremiah we're talking about that jeremiah of course likely the father of the daughters ceaseless too though i think hawkshaw wants to put out a video that's gonna um maybe contest that so i'm gonna be interested in seeing if he's noti noticed something more there going on there but the uh, general idea would be that jeremiah would be a, essentially king of a demon nation um and and um i think again in reference to hawkshaw i believe hawkshaw points this out in his own video where he makes some of the similar claims to what i'm saying is that Jeremiah has the, the 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 barbed whip, which is extremely effective against skin and and unscaled and unarmored enemies. And of course, um, obviously, demons are of course generally speaking they don't wear much clothes, so this would mm. be extremely effective for keeping subjects in line. He points out um, again, obviously, the use of a whip. Again, Jeremiah is the only enemy in Dark Souls One to use a whip in the game. Um, Prince Isleth is next to Prince Isleth is of course a whip. Yep. So there's a po whether prince whether the prince Isleth enemy is an actual son who is transformed into a parasite by say demonhood. Oh no. Uh oh. Hello. Loki, come back. Hello. Oh, there you are. Key. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Sorry, we lost uh, you for a second. Oh, I'm I'm sorry. I I wait. Okay, connections. Okay, connections still good. God, yeah, I'm so good, scared. Yeah. All right. So, just like how Prince Isleth, whether or not he's actually up uh, uh, the, whether or not he's actually say a son, another son who was um, transformed into a demon, or he's just a, re or they're just making a reference in the same way that the the um, the the clamshell, the man eater clams are also um, references. Like I think Queen Isleth in in one of the the, the files too. So again, um, pa. Um, whether or not, it's interesting that they still put the whip next to this enemy, which is again being compared to Jeremiah, and has already had this weird uh, Isleth, um 
parallels. Um, and then there's, um, of course, um, the witches themselves who use the flame whip. So again, there's, there seems to be this family tradition of using a whip <laughs> yeah. uh, going through. So there's a lot going on there. So then it's like, okay, so wait. So the demons were this, um, this completely sentient race that suddenly were emerging in the aftermath. Isleth gains control... So, because she becomes the bed of chaos, and then she gains control of chaos. So then what happens? Well, Ceaseless was born as the very first demon, because he, uh, and we see how he's the most messed up of all the demons, because again, chaos wasn't under control at the time. So can um, we just um, break for a second? When, just yeah. to clarify, like, when you say Ceaseless was born as the first of the demons, he was born as a lava monster? He didn't become yes. one. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. Yes, that's why. Yeah, sorry, I wasn't clarifying there. No, no, I'm just for just for the people, like, because there's some confusion yeah. over, like, when you're talking about Quellag, when when they became demons, what deformed means. So, like, ceaseless yes. discharge was always a giant drippy lava man. Yes. Yeah. So he was born that way, and as Miyazaki clarifies, the idea was when the flame still wasn't stable. Um, he was born during that period. So we said, let's let's put to put it into perspective. The witch loses control and she becomes the bed of chaos and it destroys, say, what's what's her her, her old civiliz her old her the Isleth as she as they knew it at that point was gone, let's say. Yeah. Let's say that's what the destruction did. But instead of completely destroying everything, they were able they were still left and they rebuilt and they became the current Isleth we see now in ruins. This Isleth, after it was rebuilt, it now had control of the flame, but before that, when Ceaseless was born, let's say that the witch was pregnant at the time, and she was about to, she was like going to give birth soon anyway. Um, then she gives birth to Ceaseless as this monster, the lava monster, and he's the most deformed, and we can see that how he was the most deformed, and how he's the most pained, because he has no control over the chaos. He was born from this uncontrollable flame, and it, it, it reflects in his own nature, in his own being. So he's constantly in pain of this. But once the once Isleth regained control of her chaos, once she was able to get this powerful, this seemingly sentient flame under control, and with the help of her, with the help of her two daughters, who seem to have helped suppress it, as we see when we destroy the staves, yeah. it not only helps give us the barrier to the parasite, it also causes chaos to start sort of unshackling itself from the witch and her avatar. And then. So like, um- Again, more clarification, like, the when you say the parasite, the thing in the middle of Bed of Chaos that, like, uh, sort of looks yes. like a... Like a yes, behind the thing. very walls of the yeah. throne room where we fight the Bed of Chaos in, we find this parasite. And this so parasite... That's, that's not the Witch of Isolith? That is the witch, what I'm right. saying is. That uh, is yeah, the real yeah. her. Okay. What I'm saying is that from her avatar, the wooden avatar we fight, we have what seems to be the Chaos Flame. It is chaos, yeah. and it seems to it, it's 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 separate from the witch, and it acts independently of her when, when she attacks and things like that. It has its own little attack patterns and things that it does, and it seems like it was being shackled thanks to the help the witch's help the witch got help from the two her two daughters, and Isleth was able to get it under control. So that's that's the key thing to understand. Isleth did get it back under control. Yeah. It was at one time not stable, and Ceaseless was born as the first, very first demon during that point. But once she got under control, she could make more demons at her will. And that's where we get the Fire Sages. And I've talked about and I've talked about this again in the video with Vati. Well, I didn't. Talk, well, Vati talk, spoke on my behalf for this, but I've yeah. talked about it in my papers. Is that 
it's never clarified if there's one or more fire sages, but we can infer from context there are more. Why? Because the asylum demon we fight is another fire sage, has the same weapon, has the same attacks. It's the exact same concept. Right. We, what we essentially are seeing is that there was a class, and under, for those that aren't aware, the Japanese name for the fire sage is a fire priest. Right. So the idea was this was a religious class. And we see this built upon again in Dark Souls 3, because then they add deacons, um, demon deacons, to um, the hierarchy afterwards. So there wasn't just fire priests, there were fire deacons that were under these priests. Let's say that we had the early adopters to demonhood. Like, it's like, oh my god, we've just created a new race. Because this is, think about this from, for a second. Uh, there's no denying the Chaos Flame was a mistake. It was not what the witch intended, it was not what she was necessarily expecting, but what she wanted when she made it was she was trying to create a first flame. And she succeeded, because the first flame, much like the chaos flame, was a creator of life. And as I've brought up with the idea of the life soul, of the idea of her obsession and fascination with fire and its abilities to create and her constant research, she was completely enamored and fascinated by this idea of a creator flame and she wanted to have one of her own she wanted to she was a god who wanted to play god essentially right and she was able to finally do that with the chaos flame the problem was she didn't have control of that fire but once she did what was stopping her and that's exactly what happened once Isleth had control of the Chaos Flame, she was able to start creating demons at her own volition, and the early adopters became the Flame Priests, because they were the first to learn demonhood. So the witches, again, we see this expanded upon in Dark Souls 3 more explicitly, the, 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 the sorcerers, the witches, they were studiers, and they were researchers, and they were about reason, and they passed that on to the Fire Priests, who of course become sorcerers who learn flame sorcery. And... The idea, though, afterwards was that, okay, in their study with flame sorcery, they create pyromancy. So it was like this idea, because the idea of being able to not even need a catalyst, to be able to hold fire in your hands. And we see this reflected in the philosophy, because a lot of people seem to be under this idea that um, Quailana... Quailana alone had this idea that you must always fear the fire. That there was this idea that, that be afraid or else there would be this terrible disaster that would happen. And that's true. And that's very true. She very much does feel that way. But it wasn't just her. All of them had that. All of them were the creator of that philosophy, which became the basis for pyromancy. This idea that you fear, that you must fear fire. Because fire is dangerous and it can backfire. And the Isleth just has to point to herself and be like, look what happened to me and my daughters because of our mistake. That was that we that was our wrong, but you can learn from our mistake, and we can teach you, and we can tell you that there are ways in which you can fear fire, but in your longing to still want to hold it, you can. We can do that. Yeah. And suddenly, flame sorcery became a philosophy, a religion, and this is why I think Dark Souls Three was very clever with how they changed the mechanics in Three to be more, still lore friendly. Was that it reflected both the faith and the 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 sorcery intelligence aspects? It wasn't just. It was originally just a fire flame sorcery was just this reason based sorcery, and that's what the fire sages learned it because they were just priests that were taught this sorcery and they were this elite class they were above the other demons so when pyromancy came around 
and anyone could use it through faith, not just reason and study and research and understanding, you now have a sudden class division. You have the early adopters who were the originals. They were like the hipsters, like, oh, we did it before. It was all cool for you to all use fire magic. And now you have these new demon deacons. They're lower rank than you. They only get, they learn all the flame magic that came after. You don't know the ancient, you know, the covetous traditional arts that came before that. So we, that's an interesting thing that, again, Dark Souls 3 builds on to kind of show us, um, to kind of build upon the Isleth idea that there was, in fact, more than just the fire priest. There was also deacons that came afterwards when pyromancy was afterward invented. And, of course, <coughs> what we have to talk about is the whole godmother thing. So Laurentius talks about how there's a god, and I think the Crestfallen Mer- Warrior says it too, there's a godmother of pyromancy, and that's supposed to be the Witch of Isleth. And then Quailana is talked about as the the mother of pyromancy. And it's like, okay, well, what's the difference there? Well, there isn't a difference. They're both referred to as the founders, the pioneers, the parents. They, they are the progenitors for pyromancy. And if both Quailana and Isleth were both the progenitors, they were both the same, there was no distinguishment between them, then why not the other sisters? Because, you know, they were all collectively the daughters of chaos. They all study with the mother. And, well, Dark Souls 3 makes that explicit eventually. Um, when they talk about, I, well, I think they said that they, they, they call, referred to them collectively as, like, mothers of pyromancy in the localization or something to that effect. Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Yeah. So, again, it, again, Dark Souls 3 is a lot of just referencing Dark Souls 1's more subtler elements, but then they try to beat you over the head with it because it's like, you didn't get it the first time! Like, yeah. So, so what happened with this demon civilization is now built. So Jeremiah and I. So Jeremiah has now got a a fucking tree wife. So it's like, well, well, that that that, it'll explain a lot of his later lore. (laughs) But so he's got a tree wife. He's got these demon subjects. He's got these humans that are wanting that many of them who are seemingly wanting to become demons. And then you've got um those who don't become demons. And then you've got some like Quailana. And, well, sorry, not Quailana, Quailag, and the Fair Lady who decide, let's become uh, demons as well. And they end up transforming. And Quailag is completely happy with being a demon. She's very comfortable with it, as Richard pointed out. It's more like she's on a ride. Like, she doesn't really yeah. much care. She embraces it. She's she's completely comfortable. She's ha- As we can see, she's, she's happy, sm- happily smiling with this. Like, this isn't really a big deal to her. Um, um, demonhood is a big thing. And this is actually a really interesting thing, and I, I wish I included this in the notes, I forgot to, but, um, let me pull up, uh, for it, is that there, I talk about this in the Reddit post, there's cut dialogue with Quaylag, yeah. um, which... It, it makes a lot. It's there's a lot of implications that you could already infer from the existing game, but she and Miyazaki talks about this in the Design Works interview. Is a lot of it was making that lore explicit, and it seems like the reason it ended up being cut was because Miyaz- it was too explicit. Miyazaki couldn't get Quaylag's because they went through two iterations, at least two iterations of the same dialogue. He kept they kept trying to find a way to make the script work to make sense. This character would say that. But they couldn't, so they ended up cutting it, and she ends up just saying nothing, and it works a lot better that way. Because it makes no sense for Quaylag to be giving us this exposition otherwise. Um, kind of makes you wish they carried that over for future games, but, you know. <laughs> uh, but, um, so, one of the interesting things, though, is it, it very makes it much more explicit about what Quaylag and the Fair Lady are trying to do later on. Um... And so now we have this giant demon civilization, 
and the demon civilization is friendly with the gods. They've been exchanging Titanite with the gods in the new city. They're storing it in their in their palace even, and they've got the white Titanite, of course, dropping off some of the chaos ones there. So things are going pretty good for a while. Like it's like isolate. There wasn't an immediate. There wasn't Gwyn going. Oh my God! This new race popped up. Time to go to war. Genocide time. Um, which is a first for Gwyn, I know, but um. So, uh, then we go to, well, I shouldn't say that, I'm, I'm, I'm being too hard on Gwyn, uh, yeah, but- Yeah, he's a great guy. He's a great, you know, he's a, he's a great evil dictator. <laughs> <laughs> he's a very kind slave master. You just gotta, you gotta acknowledge that. <laughs> Give him credit. <laughs> uh, so- um, the, so what, so what ends up causing the war, the demon war with Islith in the end? And this is the important aspect we have to keep in mind. So the philosophy behind pyromancy is you have to fear fire. And then, but you, if you want, if you long for it, if you desire it, because you know, fire is this cap, this thing that captivates you. Um, we can teach it to you and we'll even simplify it. So we don't just make chaos pyromancies. We'll even create standard, regular pyromancies for you to learn. And the witches became... I think, as Dark Souls 3 puts it, they became shamans. Um, and they go on to teach their humans, they begin to teach humans, the humans of their civilization that don't become demons, how to pray this art. And clearly, Dark Souls 3 also confirms some of the demons to learn this, and they became the deacons. Um, and it's through this study of the art that Islith becomes this, this massive metropolis city, we, underground metropolis that we see. But then the Age of Fire starts to wane, and we start having problems. Obviously, Gwyn and Anne Orlando's gods are like, well, the first flame is being, it's kind of the basis of our power, this is kind of a really big deal. But it's not so much so for Isla's civilization, and the reason being is because, well, they've got their own first flame, the Chaos Flame, and, well, it's still going strong. Um, and as long as they have that, their civilization isn't really in threat. So then comes the question... Okay, so what'll happen if their first flame goes, but we still have ours? Hmm? Things start looking a little up for Islith when you start thinking of it that way. So it's like, is it really such a big deal? Um, and then there comes another problem for Gwyn. One, he's worried about a Lord of Dark popping up. And what do you? Ha how do you get a Lord of Dark? Well, you got to have a human that knows that that's willing to go into taboos that the gods have been trying to suppress especially recently, now that the Dark is kind of flaring up and creating this undead problem. And we see that Islith was also dealing with the undead problem. We see that they had one of their heroes interred in something like a tomb outside the palace temple. Um, and like a, they kind of put the soul in a chest, and that's kind of their way of burying um, their heroes. Um, peculiar cultural thing, but, you know, different strokes. <laughs> um, and then what ends up uh, what ends up happening in the in the war area is that Gwyn starts getting Gwyn starts doing what Gwyn knows best, and that's when he has a problem, he gets he he fixes it in any by any means necessary. Um, and the pro thing that becomes necessary is that okay, you have an entire civilization um, that has people that are being taught that has hum that has humans, and this human civilization, in part, is being taught you got to fear fire. Oh God, that's a bad thing. So we've been teaching humans they've got to revere fire. But now they've got this fire that they don't that they're being told that they can fear, but they can touch and control. Oh god, they can subvert that fire. Oh god, that's bad. Because you know what? If they're willing to think about that they can just 
carelessly subverted control fire, what's going to stop them from just saying, hey, you know, why not just let fire die? Oh boy, that's a bad problem for them. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Oh boy. That's that, 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 that could be really problematic. Good thing, though, that the Lords have an alliance and they're on our side, right? And then Islith cuts off contact and doesn't want anything to do with them for a while. Oh boy. Oh boy. Suddenly, Gwyn has a real problem on his hands. Now he's got a rogue civilization that's not cooperating. And they've been basically sort of quasi vassals obeying what Anne Orlando's wanted for a while, and now they're 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 seemingly going rogue. Oh boy, that's a problem. And Dark Souls 2 alludes to this as well, with the idea that that Islith sort of led her daughters in this sort of away against the gods and it was this idea that Isla's like okay when your fire dies I'll be in charge now and you don't have the time to deal with it Gwyn you don't have your solution that you wanted to have for the firelink you've got nothing going set up but then Islith in her endless ambition as as a as Quelon I don't know if she says this in the localized dialogue she does say this in the Japanese dialogue though that she's arrogant um and Islith much Heisler shows that she is indeed very arrogant because she seems to have thought that there's no way that Gwyn could have beat. There's no way that Gwyn would have had the time or resources to be able to 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 deal with her little rebellion. Well, she was completely wrong because, <laughs> <laughs> as we see, Gwyn ends up forging weapons and armor for the Silver Knights to wear, and this is before they became Black Knights. So it was forged to be silver armor, but instead of the angelic. Um, sort of graceful light armor that we see. It's sort of this this um demonic, heavy hitting dealing um de- heavy dealing armor that was specialized in order to de- defeat demons. So he ends up specializing in all of this, and it's like okay. That's a that that that's a that's a problem. And then once that happens, and obviously Gwyn goes through, because what's the one thing that's missing from Isolith that we see when we enter there? The city's now in ruins, let's say after the war. The demons are now there and they're 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 staying there. For until recent times, they've been staying there. And there's there's no act there, and the civilization hasn't been able to rebuild. Well, what's the one thing that it's missing? It's human population. And that was the thing that Gwyn wanted to get rid of. The entire motive behind the war was, in fact, that once Gwyn was able to invade, he just had to slaughter every human that was inside of Isolith. And once all the humans had either become demons or had died in the course of the conflict, then he would go, okay, Isolith, let's, let's settle, let's make a truce. You have your territory, you don't leave it. Uh, we have our territory, we're not going to deal with it. We don't fuck with each other anymore, and we're good. We're good. Okay, good. Well, Gwyn, this was perfect. Gwyn, this worked out perfectly for Gwyn. Because once Gwyn was, he was obviously in the dominant position in the war. Once he got rid of all the humans, it was either, okay, I keep on going on this pointless conquest when I've got this whole, you know, dying first flame thing going on. Um, or I settle for a peace right now. Both parties basically agree that we don't get anything, but they've lost all their human. They've lost all their builders. They've lost all their artisans. They've lost all their smiths. All their human population is gone. All they have left are demon warriors. Basically, that's all that's left in of Isla. That and their shamans and sorcerers. So Gwyn's basically like your civilization's basically screwed. So I'm just gonna leave you here. 
you you were settling for peace, but I'm basically losing nothing, and you've already lost pretty much everything, and you can't make any connections with outside civilizations. I'm going to stigmatize you, so no one's going to want to make outside connections from you from their end either, and you can't leave. So all the demons have been staying in this area have been sort of like being like, well, if we go out there, we're going to get fucking uh, like uh, rolled over again by the gods, and then everything's going to go wrong for us again, but we can't really deal with that. So they've all been sitting around, letting their civilization slowly die, and that's been a huge problem. And Gwyn ends up being none the wiser. And then, as we see, immediately after the Demon War ends, Gwyn ends up finishing doing his last-minute preparations, and he links the fire himself in order to, to, to keep things going, so that way there's some chance for, for there's his civilization to keep on. So that's sort of what's going on with Islith in a, in a nutshell. And then in recent times... Because of the whole undead burg and, and the bells of awakening and, and all of that, we have Quelag, who seems to, and Quelag and the Fair Lady. And the cut dialogue makes this more explicit, but some of the Fair Lady's dialogue indicates it as well is that Quelag and the Fair Lady, well, Quelag seems to be the dominant party, and the Fair Lady seems to just do whatever her, her, her awesome big sister says, so. Um, but it seems to be the idea that Quelag was like, okay, we're, I, I, she's more of the dominant aggressive type of character. Her dialogue also makes this very clear because she refers to herself in third person in in the dialogue. And for those that aren't aware, um, this is normal in Japanese. It's it's not unusual. Um, uh, I wouldn't say it's necessarily common, but it, it's something that for, for it's very, it's not it's not unusual for you to hear it from a, a from a a, a, gr- a girl to say that, especially when um especially when they're trying to sound cute, um, uh. But it has a it has a there's there's a problem though with it is that it can be misconstrued as being arrogant, um because what happens is um you're obviously referring to yourself and it's sort of this sort of self inflation thing. It's the same way as if you referred to yourself as say like ore sama and it's like oh you're like this amazing like great like you're you're really like kind of like pumping yourself up and it has it can have this it, so it can backfire if you want to sound cute it says sounds like you're just kind of being a bitch um <laughs> yeah sorry uh but, uh, yeah so that that becomes a problem so then um for for Quelag, it's it's clear that it, it it plays into her domineering uh self-confident aura that she exudes in the main game and her dialogue seems to reinforce this idea that she was kind of this sort of she, let's just say that the apple didn't fall too far from the tree from her mom. Um, and then it seems that what Quelag wants is to, is to, well, she wants to defy the pact finally. It's like, it's been a thousand years. They're ringing this goddamn bell constantly. <laughs> it's like, they've got this barrier set up now at our front door. Like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> We've been abiding by the pact. Now, Gwilana, Gwilana, and the bed of chaos, and generally Isleth is like going. Well, we're going to stay by the pact. But Quelag's like, okay, me, my my sister, some of these demons, we're all going to go up there, and we're going to figure out what's going on. And then they sort of take over the Blight Town area. Um, they cause a little civil war there, and then once they have, they create the chaos servants, and they start collecting humanity and they bring it back to Isleth and obviously that we can take advantage we could basically be like sort of the double agent who's like oh yes fair lady please we we want to help with the for the good of your civilization and then you you get your humanity up and it's like you're a trusted member come on you can join the main Isleth civilization then you take the back then you take the main entrance and you fucking shortcut your way through going through a really annoying lava level and <laughs> <laughs> And then you, you you stab them all in the back and you kill the bed of chaos. It's like, oh, well, you're you're a terrible servant. 
<sighs> so that's so like and the jap and the what we learn and the dialogue is much more explicit about this because with Quaylag, her 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 Japanese dialogue. It's like, I forget how the English puts it. It's something like I've got the um, English here. If you want to, if you like want to say can, that, please yeah. for me while I bring up um, the which, I'll bring up the Japanese. Which exact name. line are we talking about? Uh, the bringer of meat. I th- it's like the bringer of meat and the says, sacrifice uh, lines. Uh, precious new sacrifice, forbidden be these parts. The realm of the creatures of chaos. Oh no! Uh, welcome, welcome, bringer of meat. The children of chaos are hungry. Give yourself to Quelag's flame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's very interesting how they word it because it's a there's 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 very key differences and it makes it because it's more obvious what Quelag is trying to do in because it's very clear that in the it's very clear in in the Bane version that that Quelag and the Fair Lady are basically trying to make the Fair Lady into another bed of chaos. They are putting humanity into the Fair Lady and it's, uh, they make her a firekeeper so she'll g- gather all this humanity but instead of it staying in her and causing all these scars on her like it does for the other firekeepers we encounter or prospective firekeepers in what's her face's case from Dark Souls 3 um not Henri uh she has the scars below her wrist what she called the little creatures they bite and nip at her um uh, Irina. Oh, Irina. Uh, Irina's Irina. Kareem. Yeah. Right, yeah. right, okay. So it's the same thing with her. So unlike her, the fair lady is transferring all this humanity, so it's not nibbling and biting at her, it gets immediately transferred into her eggs she then lays, and these eggs become little cradles of humanity to fuel the chaos fire, and they become the parasites with which will, new demons will be born. And that's what we have with the egg bearers and all that. The entire idea was that they're trying to... Because they can't do that if they don't have humans in their own civilization. They haven't been able to make contact. But now Quelag is is starting to to break the pact. And she's making contact with Blighttown. And she's using them in this port of seeming experiment to try to create a new bed of chaos from which they can create parasites and they can create new demons. And their entire civilization can start growing again. And they can start building and they can have an economy finally. And not just be this destroyed ruin. This poor, sad, slowly dying race in a destroyed ruin, and Dark Souls 3 just emphasizes this after you destroy chaos, which is literally the only thing that's just having them hang on for possible resurrection. But um So then what happens, what we have here is that um she's they seem to be doing this, and this is made explicit in Quelag's cut dialogue. And this is another reason why when people are like, oh, it's just the cut dialogue, I'm like, no, 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 you have to take these things on a case-by-case basis and really look and think in the context it was. The only reason this dialogue was cut was because it never made sense for an arrogant bitch like Quelag to ever just tell you the a random stranger she was going to kill and make a sacrifice um, <laughs> to tell you this. It's like, it makes no sense. It's literally yeah. a Bond movie exposition. And thank Miyazaki for having, <laughs> at one point, the integrity to cut that type of stuff. <laughs> So then we have the actual line as you brought forth. Um, so let's go with the go back. Can you mention that line first, Richard? The go back part? Yeah. Go back, forbidden be these parts. The realm of the creatures of chaos, they accept their banished fate. Well, yeah. So let me divide that line by line. So this is the first, this was the first iterate. This is one of the first iterations they had of the dialogue. And the idea would be when you, let's assume, let's say that this is what you would have heard as you approach the boss fog. Let's say. So, turn back. Beyond here is the forbidden region of the pact. The land of chaos is life. We accept receiving the seal. So, again, she's not saying they accept their banished fate. She's including herself in this. She is part of the Isla civilization. 
She's not there. The reason why Quaylag and the Fair Lady ran away seems to be because there was a dispute between those who wanted to kind of abide by the pact. Let's not, you know, let's not like tempt fate and make our situation even worse than it is now. And there's Quaylag with the sort of pioneering spirit that's like, no, we have to go out. We're gonna die if we just stand here. We have to try to, we have to try to take the chance, take our chance, and go on. Things are getting weird right now. This is the perfect chance, and this resulted in them sort of breaking away. But they're still connected. They're still connect. They're obviously able to give us the pass to go through the front door and things like that. So again, this isn't like that. They were they're like separate from the whole civilization. They're still part of that. And then there's the line after that, which is the next go back. Uh, go back, lest the flames devour all and the children of chaos feed upon your charred ashes. Those who defy the pact, those who d- trespass in Quelag's domain, may you feel the depth of our wrath. All right, so here we go. We go the, Again, she says, tur- let's say this is when you enter the, bo- the boss fog in the cutscene first place. Turn back, otherwise your all shall become fire's prey, so it's more or less the same, and then, and become a seedbed of the life of chaos. So she's outright telling us what she's going to do is she's going to take you. And it's not like they're going to feed on your charred ashes if you go beyond here. She's not trying to be a boogeyman and warn you about the evil demons. What she's trying to tell you is that she's going to literally burn you with her fucking flame sword. And then she's (laughs) going to take your fucking burnt ass humanity and she's going to give it to her sister who she's making a seedbed to create new chaos life. That is literally all she was saying. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and instead they were like no they shall feed upon your charred ashes oh god i hate this localization it was very matter of fact yes and that's the that's that's dark souls one script in the japanese version for the most part that's the problem <laughs> but then it's like no it has to be fucking like soliloquies yeah <laughs> So then, um, those who defy the what shall happen to fools who don't obey the pact? To those who've invaded the land of Quelag, you should realize it yourself, and then she'll fight you, and blah blah blah. So the idea was Quelag is now using the pact against it. It's like, hey, hey, you know, we're on like the borders of the pact, so we're kind of still obeying it. But hey, if you trespass in here, you know, this is supposed to be our territory. This was the deal we made with the gods. Like, this was supposed to be ours. You guys don't deal with us, and we wouldn't deal with you, even though we're actually dealing with you, so we're kind of hypocrites. <laughs> but hey, you know, you know, diplomacy. <laughs> what do you expect? <laughs> Uh, so that's so that's basically what she's going through. And again, you can see why Miyazaki couldn't make this make sense. A, she's a hypocrite if she's saying this because she's breaking the pact. And two, um, why again she wants you as a sacrifice? So why would she want to warn you against it? So she goes now. They so they then go for a second version of this dialogue. So then you say, as it was as you said, there was the ah, the precious new sacrifice. So this is how the 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 Japanese had put it: ah, new sacrifice. Beyond here is the forbidden region of the pact, the land of chaos's life. Proceed ahead as you are. So then they try to put it like, oh, she wants you to come in. But otherwise, it's the same as the earlier dialogue I mentioned. She's still saying the same thing. There's, this is the forbidden region of the pact. This is the land of chaos's life. So nothing really changed. It's just the English dialogue really changed it up in comparison. And then you have the second line, which is, well, and then you enter the boss room. And now she says, okay, you've proceeded as she wanted you. Welcome, sacrifice. You should be burned by the fire of Quelag and become a seedbed of chaos. Instead, it's... The well, how did uh, welcome bringer of meat to the children of chaos are hungry? Give yourself to Quelag's fame. It's like no, no, no. 
She w- so people have tried to think that, oh, when they're saying bringer of meat, it's like, oh, she was going to be a passive NPC and you'd give her the humanity. No, no, no. She still thinks she's saying you are the sacrifice, not that you're bringing the sacrifice and that it's meat. You are the humanity. Oh. And she wants to burn you by her fire. And then she's going to make you a-, a part of the seedbed of chaos she's doing with her sister. That's all the dialogue was saying. And that got completely perverted in localization. But it, t- it reinforces my point about it, is that much like the line about the deformed creatures, and it was supposed to be this, the grotesque seabed of life, is that the point is, is that the Quelag and the Fair Lady are happy being demons. They didn't run away because the, the, the terrible calamity that destroyed their home. They ran away because there was a dispute over, are we going to stay and just listen to this damn-ass pact, this damn-ass peace treaty, that is literally doing nothing for us right now, and we're slowly dying, or are we going to take the risk, maybe things get worse, maybe things get better, and Quaylag's trying to do things better. Then her sister screws up because she eats, she fucking ingests um, infected material, because, you know, we gotta be Mother Teresa up in here, like... And well, we kind of ruined Quelag's plans because, as 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 the fair lady remarked, she's so sorry because you know because she decided she was gonna feel bad for the 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 blight town citizens. She was gonna share in their sickness. And people have always like, what is the blight plus? Is it like a special thing? No, it's it's not even. There's no capitalization in Japanese, but it's not emphasized in any way. It's just pus of disease. Because again, this is disease village, and they're all stuck with diseases. That's why they're there. So the idea was, um, she saw that they were diseased. She was like, can you give me some of that, like, uh, you know, those, those boils on you? Let me just, <laughs> ugh. <laughs> and then, like, Quaylon comes in and she's like, oh, don't! <laughs> Sister, no! <laughs> Why? <laughs> don't eat the hazardous material, please! <laughs> and, well, it's, it's killed, it's now infected her children, it's killed them. So like no mo- so no new demon ba- babies at least in the short term. So that caused a problem. So now why? So what? So now that I've explained Isolith, <laughs> what does this mean for Jeremiah? Well, there's Hawkshaw points this out before in his video too. Is that well? One Jeremiah's name is interesting because it because there's a biblical prophet named Jeremiah and he's known for having essentially warned about invasions from I think it's Babylon. Um, that were gonna come and, and wreck the 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 state the, the the Jewish state at the time, and it was like, okay, well, they ignored him, and well, the war ended up coming, and it completely destroyed them. Uh, well, the same thing well, we could say. Well, that would make sense. That could be an explanation. Maybe Jeremiah knew there was a war. And then he told Isolith, and for whatever reason they didn't believe him, he ends up getting exiled for it. And then, well, we see he obviously has nowhere to belong, so he ends up in the painting world. Um, but maybe that's why he's become the exiled king, and we don't see him in Isleth at the time, like every the rest of the family. That could be explanation. But I want to take I want to take this a step further because there's something really interesting going. Because there's something very interest, another interesting detail, and that's that when you take Jeremiah's hat and you give it to Snugly, Snugly will give us. Fina's ring. Okay, that's interesting. Because Snugly has this habit 
I've noticed this when I've done the research. The Snuggly has this habit of giving us items of connect of some connection that end up relating or tying back in sometimes very obscure ways to the lore. So, okay, where are we going to go from here? So, Jeremiah was exiled. Jeremiah has some connection to Fina. Jeremiah's name, of course, references the war. Well, there's a th- lore, if we take his inspiration as from the old monk boss, we also, and I think Hawkshaw touched upon this too, was that um, the old monk boss is, was allegedly thrown, was the husband of the Queen of Latria, and then she was thrown out, and then he yeah. was thrown out, and then he came back as the old monk, the old monk with the demon cloth, and ended up um, taking over. So we take this idea that Okay, well, that makes sense, because obviously Jeremiah, it, he not only was had the similar boss idea going on, in ter- at least aesthetically, there was also the whole, he's the king of Isleth, she's the queen, and, and, and that was, so, so it's like, okay, well, one of the, the ideas in Demon's Souls was that maybe there was an affair going on, well, wait a second, wait a second, Jeremiah is connected to Fina? Fina, who's known to have many lovers and is proven to be very fickle with her affections. I think three spells that out explicitly, right? Yeah. I think. Because it's, it's implied with, the, by the way, the ring breaks when you, you know, when you take it off. But yeah, so the idea is that Fina is, is not is someone who, who's known to kind of uh, get around. So, okay. So was the problem that Jeremiah had an affair with Fina and that was why he's exiled? And this is where I say I want to take it a step further. What do we know about Fina? She's a god. Well, as we from what we could tell from Lautrec going all the way to Anne Orlando, it seems that she, uh, she was a god of Anne Orlando. Reasonable. Um yeah. as if she's a goddess, if she's a god of Anne Orlando and she was there in Anne Orlando, she would of course know the goings on of Anne Orlando. And as we've said before, Gwyn took extensive preparations. He made he's he completely outfitted his his forces with weapons and armor specifically to deal with chaos demons. He had this war planned. He was completely ready to invade. So with that going on in mind, uh, what if Fina got word of this? She was in an affair with Jeremiah. She told Jeremiah. Jeremiah tells his wife Jeremiah's source gets uncovered in the course of telling her what's going on suddenly an affair gets out and it's like you <laughs> a friend of mine put this very wonderfully it's like he he gives the entire he he would give the entire explanation on hey it seems like there that I've got from this source that from my from this girl I was I was cheating on you with that at at Anne Orlando that you know <laughs> You know, there's this terrible war coming. It's going to be awful. You're going to be invaded. We're going to be completely wiped out. We don't. We have to prepare and get ready to do it now. And then, like after a long pause, it's like, so you're saying you cheated on me? <laughs> and that was all she heard. And we have to again keep in mind, Isleth was an arrogant woman. She was this very conf- self confident. She had this 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 ambition and arrogance to her. So this must have been a huge blow to her ego. <laughs> And again, I say, well, to be fair, you became a tree. <laughs> so, you know, that's not good pillow talk. <laughs> I'm just saying. Do you think going on Dr. Phil would have helped their relationship? <laughs> I just want to imagine the giant bed of chaos and then Jeremiah in the couch in front of it with Dr. <laughs> Phil going, well, 
please explain to us what is your problem, ma'am. <laughs> and you just have, like, the bed of chaos, like, <laughs> and Quailon is just there next to Jeremiah, like, I'll translate. <laughs> Mother's saying that she feels completely betrayed, that you would actually decide to go on. And he's like, well, you know, we don't do it anymore. <laughs> we haven't done it in years. You're just not interested. It's all about your flame and your fire. You're just saying that because she's not as beautiful as she got older. You're a tree. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a Dr. Uh, Phil episode I would love. R- Richie, how's your Dr. Phil voice? <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll discuss it later. <laughs> So what I'm trying to say is that I would take it a step further and that from what we can understand from there, it seems possible that Fina had actually figured out what went on. She told Jeremiah as her lover, it's like, hey, darling, you know, my king wants to do something to kind of destroy your country, you know, (laughs) you know, just so you know. And then he tells his wife and she's like, wait, where'd you get this from? From the, from the, from, you know, from a friend. What kind of friend? And, well, Aww. once the affair gets out, suddenly it's, she, the idea would be maybe she just disregarded what he said and regarded it as, like, enemy propaganda. Because, again, it's like, oh, this is a goddess from Aunt Orlando. They're just trying to scare tact us or something like that. Mm-hmm. And this foolish man, he cheated on me and all these things. And she, uh, this huge betrayal to her ego. And she just exiles him. And this is why Fina's beauty is known for its legendary, um, its 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 fateful. Her, I think it's called the fateful beauty. Yeah, fateful beauty. The idea is that there's this legend of the exiled Jeremiah, and Jeremiah's apparently got this whole story. Well, if we want to talk about a legend, the fact that you you cheated on your, the fact that a god cheated on his his wife, Elay, <laughs> and then. <laughs> And then with another god, and then there was a war between these two countries, god countries, and then you told, um, and then like you told your, your wife about it, but she didn't listen to you because you cheated on her and you got exiled for it. Yeah, that would be kind of a legendary exile. I would, I would have to agree. That would be something you'd want, that you, that stories would be told about how this, how that kind of went down. Um. So that's the explanation. So that could be a very, so again, all of this I'm trying to explain to contextualize that this is, Perhaps the backstory of the lore that Jeremiah had, he and his wife had this civilization. His wife was perhaps the dominant figure in this one because, you know, she's kind of the, the, the chaos is kind of the center of it and she's the seabed with it inside of her. And then you have this sort of idea that obviously she's become this monstrosity, so it, it wouldn't be out of the out of the ord- uh, it wouldn't be completely unimaginable that Jeremiah might seek comfort in someone more his type, though you know with that head you don't know what Fina might have seen in him um <laughs> it, 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 it was it was the midriff <laughs> he knows how that's uh, his fashion was all about trying to show off that midriff um and then the whole and then he ends up going to the painted world and seemingly ends up. It seems like it's hard to because it's hard. Uh, the thing that I'm interested in was Jeremiah the same race as as Isolith and the daughters, and that they were gods, or I like to call the race medials, or was he perhaps human slash pygmy? Because I put that forward, and I've leaned more towards the medial equation, but I've I've kind of dabbled with the idea. Well, maybe he was a pygmy because it's really yeah. hard to tell when you're an invader because well, all you have to do is pick up a red eye orb, cracked or otherwise, and you can invade and you can get humanity. So. 
how much of what Jeremiah, how much of that humanity was because Jeremiah was a demon and he wanted to fuel his chaos more. Because, you know, he doesn't exactly got the flame nearby anymore to help with that. And how much of it was, um, how much of it was maybe he's just a human and maybe he became undead or something like, again, I, or, or was he a human and he became depart demon. So now he's no longer has to worry about undeath. Again, that, that's something I've, I've kind of toyed with that idea. And that's interesting. Um, in the same way that it's very interesting, the whole notion that Quelag, how, you know, the whole like seemingly internal fam- familial dispute going on with Quelag. So it seems like the Isla family is just a bunch of, bunch of really high strung people. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, they, 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 they've got some problems. I think Sin's right. Maybe Dr. Phil would have been for the best for them. Yeah. So, any thoughts or anything on there? Because, again, I could talk more about the Quelag and the whole what they were going on with the demons invading Undeadberg, but, again, if there's anything... I know I've been talking a lot, so I'm sorry. Well, that's, that's the idea of having you on. <laughs> Just yeah. save you guys the trouble. <laughs> and I don't think we mentioned it, but, like, you keep... You keep referencing, or you keep mentioning Haksha. Yes. Oh yeah. And, yeah. Uh, we we should have probably told people to check out their videos because <laughs> they're really good. <laughs> yeah, they've they, they've got some. They've got some. They've got they they do. For those that don't know, Hawkshaw was actually the reason I got into the English community. Um, huh. when I first and I have a huge tremendous like I don't like. I have huge disagreements with Hawkshaw on a lot of things regarding the lore. Some of it having to do with the translation side, some of it just being on sort of just as per, as one analysis versus another on, on some of their reasoning. But I have a huge, tremendous amount of respect, and I recommend anyone to watch their videos because they their series was de- their series has been de- was dedicated, and they're, they've got one more video before they've said they're gonna. I think basically shut down, but. Um, the idea was basically that they were they were dedicated trying to pursue a holistic look at the lore and not just say go with whatever theory sounded cool and try to put it in the larger context of the of the series and the universe and they were and they, and they were and go really in depth of it not to be sort of like um um and again no insult to Vati or to other lore people but sort of the idea of uh, what what would they call it like um I don't know like uh, uh, I don't know, like sugar tea, like I don't know what they call what what you would call it, but something like where it'd be a little bit more, say, casual geared. Let's say something that you could, popcorn, I guess, would be the popcorn lore type of idea that you just kind of sit down and you kind of get a little entertainment. It's like, oh yeah, don't have to think too much about how much of that makes sense or how much of that actually is is accurate to, yeah. to the evidence. So. Um, that was their thing, and they're vi- and again, like I said, I may not disagree with them. I may think that they're flaw. There's a lot of flaws going on, especially with their Eyesliff video. But I recommend. I can't stop recommending it because they were the first video where I saw and I said, "Oh my God, someone is talking about the demons and the fact that there's a demon civilization and that there's whole of that." And it wasn't someone who had the Japanese on them, so someone was able to look mm-hmm. at the evidence and be like, "Okay, the common assumptions don't make sense. This this doesn't make sense. This doesn't make sense. This doesn't make." And they 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 reformulated it. again. I don't agree with all the details, but they got that, and that was a huge inspiration for me it's one of the reasons why i'm here right now because i was able to go like someone got it i approached them i've approached a lot of people since then but i can't i can't i the whole hawk show holds a special place in my heart just for the amount for the for for what they've done for me this past year no i thought i held a special place in your heart more like my gut (laughs) (laughs) more like you give me anxiety whenever you talk to me (laughs) No, 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 don't worry, Sin. It's not you. It's whenever you talk to Richard, because then I fear for my future. 
you want to talk about like the history of the set? Like just okay, yeah, how, yeah okay, that's a good idea. okay. Yeah. So the history of the giant ridiculous gold hat that has continued throughout the series. <laughs> um, so the first time it shows up is in Demon Souls. It is just the head wrap. Mm-hmm. Then it shows up again as the Xanthus set in Dark Souls One. Right, Dark Souls Two. It brings it back because they they. Because it's, again, Jeremiah seems to come back as a character, but then 3, they change it up again. 3, they change it up again, and 3 is, 3 is like, hmm. So, from Demon's Souls to Dark Souls, it is, like, it's a reference, it's a callback to Demon's Souls, but it's also, like, completely new. It's not supposed to be the same head wrap. It's just, like, we're recycling this idea, it's in a new setting, it's got a new backstory, but the, the motif of the golden wrapped head well, and they use and they use that the fact that they're changing the lore so it doesn't have to look like Jeremiah's head at all. It just looks yeah. like um, a mushroom head, like the original Demon Souls boss too. Yeah. So but, yeah, and then yeah. they they just make the Ulysseal Elizabeth comparison, and they're like, okay, yeah. we'll go with that. Yeah. Then then by the time of three, it is um, they decide that there's a group called the Xanthus Scholars, and they wear the. The head wraps in imitation of Elizabeth from Ulysseal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing is that it has no connection to Jeremiah whatsoever. No. At least as yeah. So there's no, there's nothing that seems to substantiate that there's any sort of tradition or relationship there whatsoever. We can we can definitely say that Jeremiah's story pretty much ended in two. Yeah. Um Is the Golden Ardea also a reference to Jeremiah? I think it, it's somewhere between Jeremiah and Pyramid Head from Silent Hill. Yeah, yeah, I think that's the idea. Mm-hmm. And then we and then we talked about where they might have gotten the entire idea for um, both, perhaps the old monk, but definitely for Jeremiah is, of course, the, the idea of a yellow. king of yellow, um, the king of yellow, or the king in yellow. King you can translate yellow. it several ways, but it, it, it seems. to many people have made a comparison to Lovecraft and um even before that for the the king of yellow that I think is he's an eldritch god I believe correct well okay the thing about the king in yellow is a collection of short stories that mm-hmm. are kind of thematically connected through references to a play called the king in yellow but the mm-hmm. king in yellow itself the play that's referenced doesn't exist it's just within those stories. it's like a fictional it's a work of fiction within the fiction mm-hmm um, that was published in a very, very late 19th century. Lovecraft read it, and then that was influential upon Lovecraft. So Lovecraft writes in references to, like, not that overt, but references to, like, The King in Yellow um, in Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath, which looks like it was a big influence on Miyazaki, given that Miyazaki just overtly lifts imagery from it. There's references in, in Bloodborne, Dream Quest. correct? Yeah, and Bloodborne is like the nightmare areas in Bloodborne are just like his version of of Kadath. Mm-hmm. So, um, the King in Yellow reference in Kadath it just talks about a a priest, I think, who wears a yellow golden yellow sort of golden silk all over his face, and I think I that's think he- probably where the old monk imagery came from because that's described as like it was a golden silk thing that possessed him Mm -hmm. Mm. 
Yeah, and then I th- and then they decide to build upon that in Dark Souls when they decide that like, oh, we could do this Demon Souls reference with with the 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 Isleth King, and then they were like, oh, let's let's make a King of Yellow reference. And go back to my notes here, and like the the guy who has the the um golden wrap over his face is also described. He's not called a monk, but he's described as being in a monastery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I think that's that's where the old monk sort of imagery came from. Because in the Japanese version, the old monk is referred to as just sort of this 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 old, and it, it can have this kind of, but it's sort of this idea of an old man or this this yeah. this venerable, like this this respected or old man, um, elderly figure in it. Yeah. Um, so they put in this this monk idea. It seems like, like yeah, I agree that it seems like there was in fact a, a Lovecraft point. Yeah. Do you think that this? Because it seems it seems weird that this seems. Because I don't, I haven't noticed any other like, and again, I'm not a big Lovecraft fan, so I probably miss something. But I don't see a lot of other huge Lovecraft inspirations, so I'm curious why he decided that was the reference he was going to pick. Well, I think it's more that he's very influenced by 1970s RP, tabletop RPG culture, which like stole wholesale from Lovecraft. Oh, I see. So and I think he gets it through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so, you, so, so then you're saying that the King of Yellow may have been like, say, one of those those ideas or concepts that he learned from there, and then that that's sort, sort of, of I don't know, but like the impression I get is that like, um, okay, so, so uh, he explicitly cites one of his influences was a series of books called Fighting Fantasy. Okay, Fighting Fantasy were sort of like single pl- uh, cross between a choose your own adventure book and a single player RPG. Like there would be a book, and it would say like. If you do this, turn to this page. And if you want to do this, turn to this other page. But at the same time, you were sp- mm. you had like dice, and you were supposed to keep track of your inventory. So you had hit points and mm. stuff that would determine the outcome of certain events, and like you had stat checks and things. Okay. He, he very explicitly says that was an influence, and they come out of that that like seventies uh, like D and D, and also things like the Hero Quest and Warhammer and stuff. Because he Comes also has and, the octopus-headed yeah. and uh, prison yeah. guards and demon yeah, souls. Yeah, they are directly from the the octopus-headed prison guards are from Dungeons and Dragons, and they just became a stock fantasy monster. So they just show up explicitly in like most fantasy books from the seventies and eighties. And, and then like, Miyazaki the, said, "Oh, let me just throw that into demon yeah, souls." Yeah, and like uh, like I've been going through them, and like the the way that Patches as a spider looks in. Bloodborne is almost identical to a, a spider enemy in one of the fighting fantasy books. I see. So <laughs> I can just imagine him describing to the concert. He like just pulls out the book. This do this. Well, interestingly, I found that book, and the, and the artist is called Gascoin. So you may have got the name from that. <laughs> Well, that explains some of the name choices. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, you know, you know what? Now I'm not surprised that Miyazaki just called Aldrich Eldritch at this point. He just probably, yeah. he probably literally had, he just like steals all the names from whatever book he read that morning. Yeah. And like the, <laughs> the insight system in Bloodborne is basically the, uh, the sanity system from the Call of Cthulhu game, but in reverse. Because in, in Call of Cthulhu, you start with a stat called Sanity that's sort of your mental hit points. And then as things occur in that game that in Bloodborne would give you insight, they take away Sanity. 
Ah, okay. So, like, you'd start with, like, a certain amount of sanity and then, like, you would see a monster and you'd lose, like, 1d4 sanity or something Mm -hmm. like that. And the idea is once you hit zero sanity, you just go insane and the character Mm -hmm. is, like, mad. Whereas Miyazaki inverts that and he has it, you Mm -hmm. become increasingly enlightened the more of these things that you see. Mm. Yeah, but it seems the only ideas that ended up influencing Jeremiah was just the and 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 the old monk were generally the appearance and the idea of demonhood, which isn't exactly the same as like eldritch abomination gods from another mm. plane. So yeah, yeah, and like the um the chaos demons, the the ones that like I think they're called chaos eaters. They're just like a hunk of eyes. Yeah, it's like the yeah. the they're called the Chaos they're, of Islith in Japanese. Yeah, they're quite Lovecraftian. Yeah, you you yeah. can tell that just the way they're designed. Yeah, they they remind me a lot of like Shoggoths or something. Yeah. So so then are you because hmm. the thing with the demons in 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 Dark Souls is that it seems they're, they're more demons by what's the word um by denomination than yeah. say by being yeah because. Well, when we see, we, this is especially obvious in Dark Souls 2, where demon comes to mean something entirely, it, it seems to just refer to generic monsters in yes. Dark Souls 2, because they don't really have chaos demons or, or any memory of that type of, much for that type of legend around anymore. But in Dark Souls 1, it seems especially that the demons are more so despised um, because there's the stigma against Isleth and its yeah. fire, fe- its fire fearing and wanting to control, fire fearing, fire controlling philosophy. Um, we see this again when 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 Salomon, after learning from Quelana, sort of starts re kind of creating this 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 springing up of pyromancers outside of Isleth into the world of man, and then suddenly we have these again the py- they're they're called like it's it's a bit weird to just to to, i I don't know if there's a a singular term in the localization but in the japanese they're basically described as heretics um yeah and they call outcasts a lot in the uh, english yeah yeah so the idea was that um the pyromancers are in fact much like say the angelic faith they are a heretical say both uh you could I wouldn't say pagan because that's reserved for the dark in the mm. in the occult specifically. But the idea is that they are basically this heretical brand of god worshippers, and they have these ideas that are completely foreign from the way that the Anorlando Orthodox, the way of white specifically orthodoxy, um, sets itself. Yeah, the, it's pyromancy is described like almost like it's witchcraft rather than a yeah. sort of ordered logical yeah. system that. I don't know if we talked about it before, but the way that the Japanese calls, like, it doesn't call it pyromancy. It doesn't, it calls it jujutsu. Yeah. Pyromancers aren't explicitly fire wielders or fire throwers or whatever you want to translate that as. It's, they're, 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 Shaman or witches or something. Well, one of, like the, there's one accurate way they put it, which was calling it conjury or conjurator. Yeah, in, conjuration. In, in Dark Souls Three, that was yeah. a bit way because what they did. Because well, here's the reason why that was called that in Dark Souls Three. Because pyromancy is literally called um, like um, not like a sorcerer, which is like a magic arts user, but it was basically like they were called shamans or witch doctors. Like yeah. that's the. It, it's basically you're a magic user, but it's this connotation of it's like a because it's called like a spell ca- wheel, a spell arts user or a, or a curse arts user, however you want to translate that. I would go with the spell in this case, yeah. but it's like the idea that there's this this sort of tribal connotation to the magic. Um, As I understand it, it's that pyromancy the way it's almost like an intuitive 
form of magic that's passed down among these sort of shamans. Whereas the way that they talk about sorcery is they talk about it as though it's a very formal sort of methodical well, system. And that's the- well, for pyromancy, it's a bit half and half. And that's yeah. why Dark Souls 3 can go both ways. Because the idea is there is the, it, it, it's a brainchild of flame sorcery. But the idea was they want to design, the, the witches want to create it so the humans could learn it as as a in a mass in a mass way they wanted to kind of bring this to the masses in a way and the best way they could do that was of course making it more faith-based so they ended up becoming shamans and they and and of course obviously that's an obvious connection there the idea was basically you would create this religious faith but the term pyromancer has this sort of witch doctor connotation so you have this very tribal idea of the mysticism for the magic and um what and that's and that can be translated as conjury. So what they did in Dark Souls Three was you had the pyromancer set, and that was sort of the spell arts user set, and then you have the conjurator set, which was they took out the art. Um, if I yeah, it was just the 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 arts was taken out, and they just called it the spell like the spell user set, if I recall correctly, or something to that effect. So that's why they ended up distinguishing it. But the same the spell arts could be translated as conjury, but the idea is basically you are essentially this more tribal idea, and you see that in the pyromancer culture they live in the swamp they want to be sort of this one with nature because again all of nature exists because the first flame the first flame created disparity and that disparity created difference and that's why everything that's why nothing everything isn't just rock and fog there is now rock this rock was able to become skin it was able to become um it was able to become plants it was able to become tree bark it was able to become all these things and so pyromancers try to become one with try to become and this is why i get so mad with laurentius's dialogue getting butchered because the idea is like oh like our ancestors they're like no 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 there's no ancestor worship here there's no none of that really is there the idea is just that they want to be connected to nature because fire is the fire is the ultimate ideal basically it is the core of everything it is the core of the universe it is in many ways you could say the true is sort of i i don't like kind of like the pantheism idea of god of god sort of to to get into it this sort of all natural all part of reality deity that created um and so that by attuning oneself into that nature one can then take the flow and understand and become more in tune with using pyromancy for creation and this is why pyromancy can be used to create say like engi's poison arts and stuff like that because it's not specific or you you say the stone armor stuff uh, i think it's called like stone flesh or something Um, iron flesh iron flesh okay yeah so then the idea behind that is of course like pyromancy isn't just fire arts so it's not really pyro, <laughs> but um, I- I'm fine with that localization choice because I think it's a cool term, but, you know, that's just me. Um, but uh, the idea is um, pyromancers um, are, are closer to, to like, um, um, like, again, like, like, well, you like, I guess like swamp, I guess like swamp, re- like swamp religious tree huggers or something. Um, and then when you get to dark souls wait no no still dark souls on still dark souls one because then when you talk to laurentius and he sort of gets into the details about it and he sort of talks about um what they learn and what they what they do he goes into the idea that the great swamp is this place filled with nature and that they ended up leaving there but a really important detail that's brought up in one and three is that there's a parallel made between the pyromancers and the demons because the demons are often described as grotesque and this ugly, but there's a there's a funny wordplay going on here. Because in Japanese, the word for for grotesque and this sort of like oh you're just disgustingly different is also this word for atypical or just sort of being different. Yeah. So sort of the faces in 
in in for pyromancers is more literally like a different face of the great swamp and the idea being that um you look atypical and the demons look atypical and mm. when you look atypical you're not like the mainstream and when when you're not like and when you're going against the mainstream you're heretical and heresy goes to the great swamp so the idea was that it, you became rejected, and this is why there's a. This is why you see some. You, this is why you see both Jeremiah and what was the other pyromancer Dunnan, I think in three something like that. That's um, his name, I think. Yeah, it's Dunnan or Dunnell, 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 Dunnell. So then he goes to. Um, he also so, so you see this kind of parallel with pyromancers in in the painting world because the idea is they're people who don't have a place to belong, and that's because the mainstream rejects them and they become the the dete- very much one of the detested that the painting world ex- that that um, Priscilla's administration accepts because the the entire notion that okay if you look different. Um, and you like have this terribly ugly, dis- different looking face that we're not going to accept. Okay, you go off and you're going to end up in the swamplands and you're going to join these pyromancers because they're the only people that will accept you because you have differences. And then, of course, there's the irony being made with Engi, which is that he is a heretic among heretics because he makes non-fire-based pyromancy. Because, again, pyromancy isn't, doesn't have to be about making fire spells. But their entire philosophy is about worshiping the fire, and so they completely focus on the fire spells for the most part. Because like, oh, what else are you gonna? I mean, it's fire. It's the reason all everything else exists. Who cares about that other crap? Well, Engi did, and then he yeah. got thrown out for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that that sort of that's again that's a problem. It's another reason why Laurentius doesn't have trouble. Doesn't really mind being. Um, like being undead as much. Like it's like, oh, I turned undead. Everyone hates me. Well, everyone hated me before. I didn't much like them either because they always hated me. So what's what's real? What's really changed? Yeah. Um, he just got thrown out by his own pyromancers for being undead. Like nothing new here. People pe- people throwing him out for being different. Um, and that's mm-hmm. that's uh that's something that's that's not as obvious in the English version because they kind of muck, m- mur- they have they, to some extent they have to murk you up because you can't get that wordplay of atypical and grotesque and all these things. But it's the same thing with the demons. The de- we are many of many of the reasons these assumptions exist is because we are so, oh demon oh they have to be these evil monsters like in Demon Souls or something right yeah yeah. But if it, but I think anyone who know, met made in Astraia would understand that that it's not that simple. These demons were intelligent, they had a culture, they had a civilization, and Gwyn completely destroyed it, all because he didn't want a Dark Lord. <laughs> yep. Because of Gwyn's big fear of a Dark Lord, he decided that he was going to kill every human in Isolith. And then the, they were trapped there. They weren't allowed to have any contact. They were stuck there, and these demons were slowly dying. And then the one time, the one time that one of them, one of the, among them said, you know what, maybe... It's been a thousand years. Maybe we should go out there, figure out what goes on. And then she goes out there. She takes over Blighttown. Hey, what's going on here in Blighttown? You know, there's this firelinking thing, and we're going to do that. Wait, firelinking what? What are you guys doing about the firelinking here? What's with these bells? Oh, you know, we, 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 you know we're having them go up there, and they're going to go and do all these things. Okay. Then Quaylike thinks for a second. Huh. They put down a barrier downstairs that even, suddenly. Huh. They're suddenly having these bells ring, and they're doing it as part of a trial, even though that bell tower was most likely installed as, like, a signal for Sen's fortress in case the demons broke the pact. It was like, okay, we're ready. But they then convert, after a thousand years, they're like, you know, let's convert, we built Undead Berg, it now has this bell tower, let's convert it as part of our little new trial system. So once Quaylike starts thinking, 
Oh shit, they plan to kill my they plan to kill my mother as a sacrifice. Crap. Yeah. And then so once she figured that out, it's like, okay, we gotta subvert this. So she has the Capra Demon go up, and the Capra Demon takes the key to the depths that will lead you to Blight Town in order to get to Isolith, and has him take over that area, and then the Taurus Demon takes up the upper tier, so that way he can't get to the church in order to get to the other bell. So they've got that area locked down. And as Miyazaki admitted, he was even gonna have it where the Centipede Demon was gonna be part of this whole whole planned uh, subversion of the system where he, the centipede demon was going to be the boss instead of the gargoyles. Yeah. And in the same way that Quelog replaced whatever trial was probably set up in the bell tower down below, let's say it was more gargoyles they had sent there from Anne Orlando. And like, she was like, destroyed them and it's like well what so that's the big thing. It's like, Qua- like Quelog had it all figured out and she was like, oh no, 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 we're not doing this. <laughs> You, you, you undead heroes want to be heroes come down here? We're killing you and making you humanity. We're going to block you at every <laughs> path. And you're not going to destroy our chaos flame. You're not killing our mom. And then we, 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 we kill her. <laughs> we, if, even if we become a chaos servant, we basically stab the fair lady in the back, take the front door, kill their mom. We kill Ceaseless, who's just kind of watching, waiting for his sisters to come back after he's lost them. And this is an interesting thing with Quelana, and this is what I talked about earlier. Quelana was the eldest daughter, but she talks about, in her own dialogue, about this, 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 she talks about this running away, um, and she doesn't explicitly connect the two to the original creation of the, the chaos. So what? What we what's going on with Quayla Anna is that, and we know from what we see that she stayed around long enough for them to create a for the sisters to create a ring for Ceaseless to use for obviously her to become one of the mothers of pyromancy with her. So again, and this happened after the flame. They already taught the fire sages how to learn flame sorcery. So Quayla Quaylana was around well after um the whole um. Um, the whole gets chaos under control and all this. So she didn't just run away, um, much like people think that Quaylag and Fairlight would run away right after the the chaos started running rampant. All that. No, no, no. She was around. She saw the destruction. She knows what her mother is doing as a seabed of chaos now. So she knows how all of that works. She's been there. What's happened is that she she has this terrible guilt on her shoulders, and she makes that very quite clear. She's I think she says it explicitly in the Japanese at one point even, but they don't do it in the English. Where, where she makes it clear that there's this profound guilt she feels for having left. She's like, I abandoned my mother and my sister. I left them. All of that. So I was like, well, okay, well, she was around at well after the destruction, the initial destruction that chaos caused. Then what the hell is she talking about this abandoning? And then you go, wait, there was the demon war. Oh, now suddenly we've got something here. Because now when you think about it in the context, she was the eldest daughter. She had therefore had the most responsibility for both her sisters, for her mother, for someone as part of the family. There was these expectations of, of what the eldest sibling is supposed to do. And she failed that. Right, as Quelana admits, she ran away. She fled during the war. She saved her own neck. It's like, oh God, we're being overrun. We're being killed. I'm going to save my own life. And then she had to live with the guilt of that because she realized, oh crap, I just left my family to die. And worse yet... Her family didn't end up all getting slaughtered while she escaped and survived. They're still alive. So they are still there, alive, knowing that she left them and abandoned them. So, oh no. So now, she's got... I was the eldest, I had the most responsibility, I failed in that responsibility, and then I would have to go back and face all of them who know that I left them to die. That's quite an awkward family reunion. 
So she, also, great Doctor Phil episode. Another Doctor Phil. You know, Doctor Phil just has to have a whole season with the Isla family. We should just see the step by step as the history progresses. <laughs> oh God, that'd be. Oh my God. Let's see what the progress is with the Isla. <laughs> the Isla royal family. And then oh, you no. check up on them, and they're all dead because the chosen undead <laughs> came and killed them all. You just see like the the shot in Dark Souls Three of Quelana on the fair lady's corpse, dead, like with her, like. No, but that's again to get to that point. Why it's why that's such an important why that's a, such an important revelation in three is that Quaylog makes a big deal that oh you have to go and defeat the bed of chaos. I can't. I don't have the power or the resolve to do it. Like she can't. She can't bring herself to face the family she abandoned. She left them to die during a war where they when they needed her most, and as a result, she now is burdened with this guilt. That she knows for all her life, they know, she knows, and if she goes back there, she has to be able to live with the consequences of that, and that's too much for her. Now, she knows we killed her sister, Quelag, so she's completely aware of, um, because, again, you know, we go in there, we probably rang a bell, so she probably heard that before she saw us walk out of the the den, so she's like, well, it looks like my, looks like she killed my sister after she'd been fucking around here, because I, Quelag has just been hanging around for a little while. Uh, in the swamp, because again, that's why she says her answer to to this guilt is, you know, I just go around pretending to search. You know, I pretend I'm ser- and I think in English they're like pretending to seek answers, like she puts it like that. The idea is that she's trying to, she's like just putting herself as this. She becomes a vagabond because she can't deal with the guilt, so she's like, I'm just going to endlessly wander, pointlessly, aimlessly, as sort of like my penance. But obviously, that can't be her penance because she's still racked with guilt over this after a thousand years. And as she says, like my mother has been dealing with. The, the consequences of her ambition of wanting to try to like I don't know make an age of chaos after Gwyn's flame was gone and they've suffered the consequences and it's been a thousand years now like please just just do it for them but I can't do it well all of this happens and she's all happy that we did it well what's happened since three and this is very touching is that <sighs> the fair lady's the last of her family left and Quelag Quelana I keep saying Quelag Quelana finally returned. She, as the eldest sister, came back to her last sibling, and she was with her there. And what's even more important was what we learn is that how she died. During the Second Demon War, when Lothric and Sullivan's forces are overrunning them, when they are exterminating the demons in the last stand that Isleth has, it's, it's like, the demons can't catch a break. <laughs> um, it's, like, it's like, no, you can't exist. You're a sin. <laughs> oh, oh. So they're being destroyed, and the fair lady's hidden behind the illusionary wall and all that and all this this thing. And we see that where Quelana's corpse is, is that this time, this is why it's such a big deal, is that during this war, a recreation of the same incidences, they're in a war they can't win, they're being overrun, they're losing. Quelana doesn't make the same mistake. She stands and she stays and she decides, no matter what's going to happen, I'm going to be by my sister. I am going to protect my family. I am not going to abandon them in their hour of need. And that is so meaningful for what happens there in 3. So much is being packed into there and emotion is being shown there through just the fact that their corpses were there and that she decided she would stay to her dying breath. She was going to protect her family. And she was going to right the wrong she did the first time around in 1 that we see her racked with guilt in during that game. And it's such an impressive character development that we don't even have to watch through dialogue or anything. We just see just because we see the jump from one to how a corpse looks in three. That is where Dark Souls shines. That was beautiful, Loki. 
So yeah. <laughs> Is there a, there's probably a whole lot of noise coming from my like side of it because there's a huge storm outside and even like I, I don't, don't hear, hear anything. Oh, honestly. that's all right. Yeah, it's really raining, and I can see all these spikes on the like oh. audio track. That- it's fine. My boyfriend will clean it up. Okay, He's a professional yeah. now. Oh, oh I see. He anyway. managed to make me audible when there was like 14 air conditioning working, and I was screaming at you the entire time, Richie. And it are was you, still. Listenable. Are you going to leave the story about the? Uh, tens of thousands of dollars of stock being destroyed due to an air conditioner in. Obviously. <laughs> I think you should leave that in as a cautionary tale to anyone who's listening. Always fear the AC, lest oh, you yeah. be consumed by- <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah. Uh, oh, my God. It's been an hour and 50 minutes. Well, yeah. this passes way faster than when Rich is talking. Yeah. yeah, I'm so sorry. I know I I had to talk no, about no, my favorite topic cool. forever. It's, it's, it's actually making things interesting. Well, I hope I hope I hope it revitalizes at least Isleth as a topic for yeah. you guys yeah. because that because it's for me it's one of the most fascinating parts of the lore, the civilization, everything. And it's like ah because it's like deformed creatures because it's like all the cut dialogue and like all this localization errors and mistakes and it's such crucial stuff. It's like you can't get this wrong. Same thing with Quailana, same thing with it. It's, it's like, once you understand what's really going on, once you understand what really happened with that, and you see, it make, one, it makes sense because now you look at three and you're like, oh, three makes sense now. It's like, okay. It's like, Loki what? three will never make sense. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, once Isleth and three makes sense, it's like, oh, that's good. So you can see where they're building. It's like, they're not just, you know, everyone likes to cry retcon. It's like, well, maybe they have done, but it's like, no, this was all stuff they're building up from previous games in this instance. And it's very, very, um, it's very, well, it's very heartful because it's the last bastion of, of Miyazaki in a Dark Souls sequel. Well, I guess I shouldn't say just Miyazaki, but FromSoft in a Dark Souls sequel using subtlety <laughs> to tell their lore again. Uh, uh, so, Richie and I were talking, and we pretty much decided <laughs> that... Well, I pretty much decided because I made an executive decision, so Richie kind of has to agree. We're probably only going to talk about Dark Souls when, like, you or Sana or Aegon or yeah. someone else is on. <laughs> <laughs> We're not likely to just sit down and talk about Dark Souls. Yeah. Well, we, we talked uh, about Derasine. Yeah. yeah. That was pretty yeah, successful. Uh- well, I'm sorry. Yeah. I know it's an old game and stuff, but you know, between no, no, the bo- it's just we don't yeah. want to talk about it anymore because we're like, like we we between the two of so. us don't have anything else to say. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad I can add something to the conversation then. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. No, especially because you know, I know Mavati wants to keep me busy with Sekiro and everything. Once that's out, it's gonna be that's gonna be fun. But it's like, oh boy, oh boy, <laughs> I'm I, I'm nervous because it's like, oh no. <laughs> one, I'm going to ask Santa. I'm like, Santa, can you please just, like, rip the script, like, day one for me, just so I don't, I, I, like, I don't, cause you have to understand, before I met Santa, like, I literally, one, I had to go through YouTube, like, Let's Plays and stuff, like, because I was like, I wasn't going to do another playthrough on my game, so I was like, I'm just going to do, go through Let's Plays, so I kept on finding, I had to go back and find, like, the same, like, set Let's Plays and go to, like, part 60 minute 15 and stuff to find the same Aww. item descriptions if they maybe were lucky enough to go through them um when they found an item or something so that was hell then santa came through and it was like 
I was like, can you like get me the cut content? He's like, well, I can't distinguish it. So can I like just give you everything? Yes. (laughs) 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 I I would be more than happy with that. Just copy paste the whole thing. I'll sort it out. (laughs) (laughs) Aww. <laughs> like so he made he's like now made it where i can just control f when i want to check a line of dialogue it's like uh, it's like did this say that or did that say the other thing i can't remember exactly it's like and he has like the english and japanese next to each other like oh my god santa's like a godsend like oh the lord yeah. like put him on this earth to make my life easier Aww. <laughs> uh, yeah sounds pretty nice oh he's a sweetie now he's yeah. done now he, now he now he gets to be part of the real world he's graduating oh and all that Our yeah. is growing up you guys <laughs> yeah. <laughs> your fe- you should have had Santa be like, because now you know his face and everything. You should have had be- him be in your Death Stranding video inside the jars yeah, of Richard. Yeah, we can put him in a little, t- like little, little capsule. Like he's breaking out of the fucking capsule. <laughs> Our baby's growing up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, son, that's enough. I'm 45. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. It's great talking to you guys, my goodness. What a great way to spend a Saturday night. Yeah. Yeah, all right. So I think I've covered I think I've covered more or less everything. You guys have my papers. You can fact check me or anything on anything I forgot to mention or something, but I think that should cover it all and that Awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The only thing I don't like is because I'm unscripted, I rant, and I'm sure this isn't going to make as much sense to people as I would want it Have to. Have you like- heard these podcasts? This is like the most sense that any <laughs> podcast has made. In months. Okay. <laughs> okay. Alrighty. Yeah. Well, Alright, I'll stop being you. a worry wart. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. And right. Everybody totally loves you. And people were actually telling me, like, okay, well, you know, your podcasts are fine and everything, but when are we going to see Loki again? Aww. That's <laughs> yeah, sweet. Loki's stealing the show. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't have Bloodborne or Darasine or any of that stuff yet. So it's like, that's all you guys. You got it. <laughs> I'll just come oh. on to chat about a, a, a what? A, what is it now? A, a, a seven-year-old game <laughs> yeah. going on eight <laughs> that people still love for some reason. It's crazy, yeah. huh? <laughs> yeah. Uh. I, I'm Asana says that he hopes that Demon Souls will get remade, and I actually agree with him. Honestly, that's a game that actually I really would love to play if they, yeah. they ever like they ever like rem- like they say or he's, even he's just ported to PS4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could work too, but I would really want to see it remade just because I want to see like next gen Blue Point style, like especially after seeing that Dark Souls remaster trailer, which was a complete cock tease and completely didn't re- didn't reflect the final product whatsoever for what came yeah. after. Um, I would love to see next gen uh demon souls <laughs> like oh gosh then I could go then i then i could then I can go through the hell of playing that game yay <laughs> that's gonna be fun <laughs> and maybe 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 they'll hire me to relocalize the script please <laughs> just please like you can keep the dialogue just let me edit the fucking subtitles because like i um, Santa, was it Santa? I think posted that thing that was like an article about. Yes, he, the he posted to me process. about it. Yeah, and it's just like a, it was not smooth. No, it no. was not. Yeah, no, I, Santa, I'm not sure if you've read it either, but it's, it's, yeah, I just, I just can't believe, like, I've said it before. It was either this or it was blatant laziness. Like there was really no like there had there there was no way and it must have been the same problems with Dark Souls 1 and they started fixing it up after Dark Souls 1 became popular and it was like 2 and 3 they started improving the quality. Yeah. 
once it became an established property, it was like, okay, we know this. People aren't are actually gonna like judge us a little bit. <laughs> um, <laughs> they never ever put it up to proper quality, in my opinion, but they tried at least. You can tell <laughs> after one and Demon Souls, you could tell they tried. <laughs> Oh yeah, 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 but yeah, I can't. I just can't believe some of the stuff that they went. Because here's the thing that both like I can understand like the not the getting things months apart. That's normal. That's normal and all that. And the not getting too much context. That's fine and all that. But then he talks about things in that like because I think he's the lead localizer too. I think he confirmed that he was or something for that. They already got stuff in like the wonky, inconsistent old English that was never really that consistent that he had to work through. And I feel I feel for this guy after that. Like that's pretty fucking bad. <laughs> like when it's already like when you're already being handed a pretty like crappy inconsistent script that you somehow have to put into logical sense and it didn't sound like he had he always had the original japanese with him when he got these wonky versions either so it was like oh god and then i wonder why like one of the gods in dark souls 2 has like two different names even though it's the same fucking god (laughs) and like otherwise the same description like oh god they needed an editor there's three baron aches like oh like the ornstein thing everyone talks about ornstein with um like the whole like oh you know or uh gwyn gave ornstein that soul so like that's not really his soul it's like no 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 no, people that's some (laughs) localization fabrication shit right there because all it says in the japanese version for ornstein and all the japanese fandom has ever understood it was that this is the soul of one who served gwyn as one of the four knights that's literally all it said it had nothing about giving souls or any of that bullshit that they threw in there and nuts again like it's just there's so much uh, yeah well that's 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 for future podcasts i guess so yeah let's close this out i guess Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's wonderful talking with you guys. Oh. He means me, Richie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, Richie, do you want to do the outro? I love how you just turn on the dime that way. <laughs> yeah, that was episode 11, and it was about Jeremiah, but also everything else, even tangentially related to Jeremiah. Yes. Mostly Isolith. So yes, it's, it's the Jer- it's the Jeremiah, but not really. Yeah. <laughs> podcast. Then it'd be like Jeremiah and Isolith. I- the the, the, the Star Cross lovers. The, tr- <laughs> <laughs> the Star Cross lovers that had a lot that, that should have gone to therapy. All of Dark Souls would be solved if everyone just went to on Doctor Phil. Oh my god. <laughs> like there should have just been the god of do- the god of therapy in Dark yeah. Souls. <laughs> Alrighty, bye guys. <laughs>